This is Bigger Pockets Daily, the no excuses everyday audio version of the world's number one real estate blog. I'm Tyler, and each day I read you short, digestible articles from biggerpockets.com. You can scroll through the catalog and see which titles catch your eye, or just make this a part of your daily ritual. Okay, almost time for the show. We'll get right into it after this quick break. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're trying to close on your next rental. So why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Why I Passed on a 60% ROI Real Estate Deal by Paul Moore Do you chase shiny objects? We're all susceptible to them. Their allure is like a siren song for investors looking to boost cash flow and build wealth. I spent years as a certified shiny object chaser. You could call it entrepreneurial investing. As a serial entrepreneur, I loved starting companies. I got a charge from strategizing and planning and dreaming. As long as we were in the entrepreneurial stage, I got a thrill and it barely seemed like work. As a two-time finalist for Michigan's Entrepreneur of the Year, I was convinced I wanted to stay on the entrepreneurial path for life. But I wanted to be an investor, too. When I sold my company to a public firm at 33, I moved from entrepreneur to entrepreneurial investor. I hoped to get the same thrill from investing that I got as an entrepreneur. That was a big mistake. Now I know that great investing should be boring. Paul Samuelson, America's first economist to win the Nobel Prize, said, Investing should be like watching paint dry or watching grass grow. If you want excitement, take 800 bucks and go to Las Vegas. I thought I was a full-time investor, but I was really a full-time speculator. I might as well have gone to Las Vegas 
and this life took a toll on my health, my relationships, and my ability to enjoy life. It wasn't as much fun as it promised to be. A reformed speculator. After years of pain from many speculative losses along the way, though there were some gains, I realized the error of my ways. I came to understand the difference between investing and speculating, and I chose the boring path of investing. I stopped trying to swing for the fences and started swinging for singles and doubles. And this was the most successful era of my life, both as an entrepreneur and as an investor. This reform also included a reform of focus. I read the now classic, The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papasan. I realized I'd have to say no to a thousand or more distractions in order to say yes to what I really wanted. This one thing for me is to build a carefully vetted portfolio of recession-resistant commercial real estate assets. My goal is to create safety, cash flow, and appreciation with meaningful tax savings along the way, and to invite as many people as possible who want to come along for the ride. My other thing, which is really part of the one thing, is to create meaningful educational content to help others in their real estate investing journey. As part of this effort, I get to learn about many powerful investing strategies. This includes strategies I would have chased in a heartbeat in my younger years, like David's strategy. Keep listening for more on this. And I get to meet powerful investors and operators. Operators who use their entrepreneurial prowess to create new systems and strategies to generate cash flow and build wealth. And have a lot of fun along the way. Enter David. I recently attended the Real Estate Guys Investors Summit on the sand in Belize. I was surrounded by brilliance for eight days, and it really seemed like an investor paradise. Robert Kiyosaki, Ken McElroy, Tom Wheelwright, and G. Edward Griffin were among their respected faculty. But the 200-plus real estate investors in the room were just as intriguing. The conference was charged with ideas and strategies that would make a real estate investor's head spin. I met an intriguing guy named David. Like me, David had an engineering background and had worked at a major Detroit automaker. He had strategized a path to quit his job by assembling a unique portfolio of mountain cabins he could operate on Airbnb and Verbo. In 2017, he made a goal to quit his lucrative job within about three years. Because of his strategy, he pulled it off in only 10 months. I had to know more. David and I talked for a few hours. I took notes. I did my own calculations, and I excitedly told him what a great strategy this could be for someone with a 1031 exchange ticking time clock. David's projects were especially interesting because of the way he utilized debt. The availability of 90% loans on highly appreciating assets gave David a chance to put down about $100,000 on a $1 million mega-furnished mountain cabin. It was in an area with constricted supply due to an unusual natural disaster a few years back, so such cabins were in high demand. David reported net cash flows of $60,000 or more, up to $90,000 annually, which is a 60% plus cash-on-cash -cash return. Furthermore, he had worked out a system to make this investment semi-passive using virtual assistance. To top it off, the location was within hours of my home, 
and my family vacationed there quite frequently. I was hooked, and his promise of semi-passive activity for me as a future owner sealed the deal. I could certainly invest an hour or two tops weekly to attain a 60% ROI on cash flow alone, not to mention annual asset appreciation of over 10%, adding another significant cash-on-cash return when I would refinance or sell. This would likely be the highest ROI asset in my portfolio, in a place my family loved a vacation, with virtually no effort. And it would provide substantial diversification to my portfolio of commercial real estate assets. So why did I say no? Something was bothering me. I conveniently delayed the decision. I referred others to David, who helped them locate and acquire similar cabins. I'm happy for them and still a little jealous, but I didn't move forward. I said no. I had taken the necessary time to consider all the implications. My decision came down to several important factors. Number one, distractions pile up. Any small distraction is still a distraction, and while I was 99% confident about the viability and profitability of this investment, I knew in my heart that getting the loan, closing, choosing a few replacement furnishings and a hundred other simple things would add up. But I'm on a successful investing track already. My firm is doing exactly what we set out to do and I'm loving it. At this point, I need to focus more on what is working and trim down everything else. Number two, violation of the one thing principle. Authors Keller and Papasan teach that laser focus is the key. Every hour, day, month, and year, the energy and brain space this would gobble up would matter. See point number one. Number three, blinded by a vacation home. I'm all for vacations and for vacation homes. My view was skewed by the fact that these cabins were the exact cabins my family loved to stay in. Great investors know it's critical not to fall in love with their prospective investments. I almost broke that rule. By focusing on my one thing, I can make enough incremental cash flow to stay at any vacation cabin in that region. Or any region. I don't need to own one to enjoy it. Number four, investing in happiness. In a 2018 paper titled Happiness, Income Satiation, and Turning Points Around the World, Andrew Jeb, Louis Tay, Ed Diener, and Shigehiro Oishi found, using a worldwide sample of over 1.7 million people, that the income satiation point for experiencing happiness is $60,000 globally and $65,000 in North America. Above this level of income, people in the sample did not experience more happiness. This is tricky because I'm trying to build a lot more wealth to do good in the world, like fight human trafficking and rescue its victims. But the potential of this investment to distract me from my main focus and to add to my weekly workload could easily work against this goal without providing any more happiness. So perhaps it would only impede my happiness. Number five, creating a meaningful legacy. I want my legacy to include investing in powerful causes, like ending human slavery. But my legacy also includes having time to invest in my wife, my children, friendships, and local community. I'm already struggling with this and have failed a lot over 34 years of marriage. I think this great investment could be the enemy 
of the best in my life. Number six, it sounds like entrepreneurial investing or speculating. It is exciting, but I've committed to boring investing. And this investment also depends on issues I know little about. Am I really an expert in mountain vacation cabins? Do I want to be? Why did I walk you through this process? I'm in my third decade as a real estate investor and have nearly 30 years as an entrepreneur. I've been through a few cycles and I've made a lot of mistakes. I'm old enough to be a father to many readers. I've gone from making mostly mistakes to having mostly successes. I'm in the harvesting and legacy phase of my investing life. And my goal is to help others in their process. I wanted to give you a peek inside my brain to see how I went about this decision process. This doesn't apply to everyone, and it doesn't mean it's necessarily right for you. But I thought I'd pull back the curtains on why I passed on a truly great deal. My two-deal soapbox. I also want to get on my soapbox for a moment. Though the following may not apply to you, I'm guessing it will apply to many. In this phase of my career, I know myself well. I know what I know, and I know there are many easy things that I don't know well. This means I can identify deals that I don't understand well, deals that would be a distraction. I've concluded I only want to invest in two types of deals going forward. One, deals in which I am 100% in. I assemble a team, the knowledge, expert due diligence, systems, and more. These deals consume the bulk of my time, attention, resources, systems, and team. Number two, deals where I am 100% passive. I understand the asset, and more importantly, the operator, and I know this operator is obsessively doing number one, like I mentioned before, on my behalf. And I know that this operator is avoiding the same type of distractions I'm ruthlessly avoiding. For example, if I invest with a mobile home park or self-storage operator, I want to know they are not actively buying mountain cabins on the side. Or that they are so successful they have someone handling all these types of distractions for them. Note that I must spend a good deal of time on due diligence up front to do this option. Therefore, in a sense, it is only passive after the initial due diligence effort. Anything other than these two options is likely a distracting shiny object or risky speculation for me, and I'm making enough money that I don't need to do either. My family can't wait to take our next mountain cabin vacation. But it won't be in our cabin. We'll be investing in happiness by vacationing and by not being the owner of that cabin. And I can't wait for my next monthly payment as an investor in my own fund. It won't be 60% annual ROI, but it will be predictable, stable, and strong. We'll always have the joy of knowing we're helping hundreds of other investors follow my two rules above so they can focus on where they're actively making money, on where they can add value, and on enjoying their lives and families. All right, thanks for making this show a part of your hump day. You know what else happens every Wednesday? Bigger Pockets webinars. They're live and free. You can register at biggerpockets.com webinar. Plus, if you're a pro member, you get unlimited webinar replays. What are your plans tomorrow? Hopefully, they include another episode of Bigger Pockets Daily. See you then.